Hello, everybody. Welcome to Ohio Has Issues. I'm Stephanie Haney. I'm Mike Polk Jr. What is this that we're doing right uh, here, Stephanie? We got ourselves a little political show going on. Oh. I just want to make sure that our microphones are working, though, because I don't hear myself. And I want to check with our producer, Chris Beeble, who will tell us I hadn't even noticed. if they are operational. Okay, good. Just making sure everything's normal. I can hear myself in my ear and now I didn't get too ahead of it. That would have been an issue. It would have been an issue. That would have been very ironic. And Ohio does have some issues, but that wasn't an issue. But mm -mm. Ohio does have some issues. It does, and that's why we're doing this show. See, it's a show about politics, state politics. doesn't get enough coverage as far as we're concerned. And so we thought, with this election coming up and whatnot, we're deciding on our senator and some other very important issues. Uh, we thought we would help you on the way up to the election, learn as much as you can about Ohio politics along the way. Absolutely. And when we do that, we're going to be talking about issues, which is why we settled on this name. But there were a couple other names that we gave a, gave a run mm -hmm. that we considered. We kicked around. For settling on, on Ohio has issues. Here are a few that I suggested. Ohio Civics 101. Um, Politico Ohio. Kind of complicated, though. Um, a little bit. How about keep up, Ohio. Like, pay attention. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like you're in trouble a little bit. What are they up to this week? That's <laughs> too long. FOBO, that is for Ohioans by Ohioans. Mm, that okay. got shot down. Buckeye Breakdown, which sounds like a post-game football uh, show. A little sportsy. And then my favorite that was not available was, oh, hi, Ohio. Uh, but you have to look at how it's spelled so that you know okay. what I'm talking about. So, so it says like, we can like get it. oh, hi, Ohio. Oh, hi, Ohio. I get it. And then yeah. that way I, I could have started every show since the show is called Ohio, Ohio. I could have started the show by saying, oh, hi, Ohio, Ohio. <laughs> this is the kind of serious political journalism you're going to be getting from us if you come and tune in <laughs> every like week. Something from the sound of music. <laughs> it does. What else did we uh, try? We had a couple I, other ones. Didn't we, we did have a couple other ones. You know, they were taken. The state of Ohio. Mm. Someone's doing that one. I in Ohio. You actually contacted them. I did. We're buddies now. Good friends. So, but now we are. <laughs> we are. Ohio has issues, and let's face it, they do. And we're and we're going to talk to some smart people and learn about Ohio's issues, and then hopefully educate ourselves on the way up to the election. Yeah. Specifically, there are four issues, literal issues that could be on the November ballot. We're mm -hmm. expecting to see them on there. One of them we're going to talk about today. The other three, minimum wage increase, we'll talk about in the future. Also, an amendment related to voting rules potentially could be on the ballot, and an amendment related to whether or not you're able to file a lawsuit against government officials or police officers. The first one I was thinking of was redistricting. That's an issue that could be on the November ballot that we've talked a lot about. Well, it's so fortunate that we have our guests that we have today, though. Uh, I'll be speaking later on with Andrew Tobias. He is a plain dealer politics reporter who covers the State House. And I'll be asking him a little bit about everything that's going on currently. But you're talking specifically to someone who knows a lot about redistricting. And who is that? Absolutely. Ohio's former Supreme Court Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor got to have a conversation with her. Now, she's been retired from the bench since the end of 2022. I want to tell you a little bit about her in case you're not as up to speed on former. In case Chief you're Justice. not an O'Connor head. <laughs> in case you're like, not I, an like we are. Head. Yeah, so she actually was the 10th Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Ohio and the first woman to lead the state judicial branch here in Ohio, the first Chief Justice to retire from the office. Hmm. And she had to do that because there's a rule in Ohio that you can't run again for that office if you're over the age of 70. And she weird. turned 70 in 2022, That's so weird. couldn't run again. And then since she retired, she's been focusing her energy on the Citizens Not Politicians initiative. That's a proposed constitutional amendment that would deal with the way that we draw our voting maps here in Ohio. 
I want to give you some quick stats before we dive into the conversation with her, which Please. we'll get to in just a second. Uh, the current maps, they were approved in September by the Redistricting Commission. Mm-hmm. We can tell you that according to the state auditor's calculations, these new maps give Republicans an advantage in 61 of 99 of Ohio's House districts. That's about 62% of the House districts. And 23 of 33 of the state Senate districts, so about 70%. And where Ohio sits politically is roughly 54% Republican, 46% Democrat. So So it's that imbalance that they are trying to address with this initiative. Absolutely. So let's get to that conversation with former Chief Justice O'Connor. Chief Justice O'Connor, thank you very much for your time and talking with us today about the issue of redistricting. Kind of want to start at the top here and sort of set the stage for kind of how we got to this point with the championing for you of the citizens, not politicians point. So when we look at how our current legislative and congressional maps are drawn, you know, it hasn't been that long that they've been drawn this way, voter approved in November 2015. So my question for you is, what specifically would you pinpoint as the issues with the current way that the maps are drawn? You're right. And and Stephanie, I want to thank you for the invitation to be here and participate and and discuss a a topic that I've been working on for uh, a year uh, now. Um, And it's uh, Citizens, Not Politicians. That title is kind of self-explanatory. But your question goes to why the constitutional amendments that were passed in 2015 and 2018 aren't sufficient to deliver uh, uh, what the, the citizens of Ohio thought they were voting for. Um, one of the major, major uh, problems with both of those amendments is that the redistricting uh, commission was the entity that was going to and, and did, you know, draw the maps. Um, and uh, the redistricting, the makeup of the redistricting commission is by constitution. Uh, and it's seven politicians, and it is the governor, the secretary of state, the auditor, uh, the speaker of the House, uh, the president of the Senate, and then the minority leader of the uh, House and the minority leader of the Senate, all politicians. And now they can they can uh, do designees, the representatives uh, and the senators can. But in the initial one that I was involved back in uh, 2022, um, it was the president of the Senate uh, uh, that was uh, involved with it, along with the governor, the secretary of state, etc. Um, the problem that we that is is rampant in uh, the drawing of these districts is that they're gerrymandered. And I think everybody has heard the word gerrymandered, uh, you know, time and time again. Now, which means that the uh, there's uh, considerations on how the maps are drawn. And those considerations are what I would call illegitimate considerations. Uh, they're uh, drawn so that a, the party, the uh, party that is... Um, in the majority, and whether it's Republican or Democrat, because this happens, you know, in uh, both uh, uh, when either party uh, happens to be um, in the majority, uh, they try to preserve their majority. In fact, they try to uh, achieve a super majority, so that strengthens, you know, further their um, uh, uh, power and the politics of uh, the legislature, how the legislature operates. This is just the ground floor. How do you pick the districts? 
if you can gerrymander the districts, you're going to get more representatives and more senators that belong to your party and will support your initiatives. And uh, that will give you, uh, chances are, a supermajority, uh, which, and I'll quote the um, uh, message that the, the uh, Senate president, Matt Huffman, said once that was accomplished, a supermajority, we can pretty much do whatever we want. Uh, and I think that uh, quote uh, and that attitude sums it up. You know, uh, I want to mention something that you just said right there. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats who are in power. You're a Republican. We know that because of the way the election system is for your position that you held here as the chief justice of the Ohio Supreme Court. What do you say to people who are surprised that you as a Republican are coming out against the way that our districts are drawn right now and supporting citizens, not politicians. I think it's important, and, and this is a message that I really, um, I'm, I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to deliver again, because this is what I've said, you know, for the last 20 years on the court, is that politics should not enter into how a judge makes a decision. Yes, politics are relevant when you're running for office. But once you are elected, uh, your politics, just like any other consideration, your religion, uh, et cetera, what clubs you belong to, that is all outside the courtroom door. And the only thing that you need to consider when you are a judge um, are the facts and the law and apply the law to the facts. Uh, and um, to do otherwise, uh, I think, uh, is a violation of your oath. I'm a Republican. I'm a registered Republican, and I will continue to be a registered Republican um, because I think that there are, without getting too political here, um, there's various types. There's not just one size fits all Republican. Uh, there's a spectrum. Let's put it that way. There's a spectrum of Republicans. Um, I was a, a conservative um, uh, fiscal conservative uh, Republican, but more liberal on social issues. Uh, and um, I believe that government's uh, job, uh, the courts included, are there to solve problems for people that they can't solve themselves. And that's, you know, in a nutshell, what judges do. You know, I like how you put that there's a spectrum to party affiliation. There's a spectrum to many things in life. Very clear, decisive, though, when you were on the bench, you ruled against the maps that were drawn legislative and congressionally seven times. So in ruling against those, obviously, something you you felt was not happening the way it should be happening with those. And then leaving the bench a year ago, at what point was it that you realized that you were going to be putting all of your energy and attention into making sure that Ohio, we're trying to make sure Ohio changes the way these maps are drawn? Well, I, I mentioned uh, the Citizens Initiative, uh, the first opinion that was uh, uh, came out of the Supreme Court. There were seven uh, uh, because there were seven maps and each was declared unconstitutional by the majority. Uh, but the first one, uh, I, first opinion, I wrote a concurring opinion, uh, which said, uh, you know, there's a way to fix this. Uh, the problem that we're experiencing, the fact that politicians are putting party and power uh, before people. Uh, and the way to do that is with the Citizens Initiative. And Ohio is 
lucky, blessed, I, I don't know what you want to call it, that we have the power as citizens to initiate uh, a constitutional amendment and a statute. We just saw that this past November uh, for the uh, reproductive rights um, issue one and then the cannabis uh, issue. The cannabis issue is a statute. Uh, the reproductive rights is a constitutional amendment. And they were initiated by the um, the people, the people of Ohio. Not all states have this um, ability. I think maybe only about 18 of the states. We've had this since 1912. Uh, it's been utilized and um, uh, it is, I think, just a wonderful tool uh, that the people of the state of Ohio can use when necessary. So let's talk about then this particular citizen-initiated constitutional amendment, the Citizens Not Politicians Amendment. So what would that change if that does pass in November? Well, it would be a sea change, uh, really, on how how the commission uh, is made up uh, for for the one thing, which is, uh, it, it, as I mentioned, the commission is now seven politicians. It would be replaced um, uh, by a 15-member Ohio Citizens Redistricting Commission. Uh, and uh, there would be five Republicans and five Democrats. And five independents. In, the, in other words, they don't belong to either party. Um, and uh, then the uh, redistricting commission membership would be required to include, as I said, um, uh, that variety. And the new constitutional language will require commissioners to be well qualified and collectively form a representative cross-section of Ohio. Uh, which is, you know, really, uh, I think, important and uh, appealing uh, to the voters. Um, bans current and recent political office holders, uh, those with strong political ties, lobbyists, uh, their family members, uh, anybody that is doing business, uh, you know, with uh, the legislature or, or, or government uh, in general. Um, and it requires the um, uh, redistricting commission to draw maps through an open and independent process. It makes it unconstitutional to draw maps that favor one party over another. And, and um, uh, one of the things that I think is remarkable and a really attractive feature about this uh, amendment is that all, all of the activity with regards to this amendment have to be done uh, in a transparent manner uh, in front of a camera. So everything will be live streamed uh, and it can be viewed, you know, from the, uh, the redistricting commission going around the state, holding its hearings, listening to what citizens have to say about communities of interest and what they want to see, um, you know, uh, uh, in the same districts, what you know, village or school district or um, whatever, why it shouldn't be divided uh, into different districts. Um, they're going to hear uh, what is important to the citizens, and they're going to take that information and make some decisions. And then there will be professional map drawers, uh, people who do this. Um, uh, and the, the commission will give the criteria to these map drawers according to the Constitution, this new constitutional amendment. Uh, and what they come up with 
is going to be, as I said, in public. That didn't happen uh, in, in all the seven maps that were drawn um, and given to uh, the Supreme Court. Uh, that were backroom uh, drawing. Uh, there were maps that were produced that nobody saw before they, you know, were produced, uh, particularly the last map. Um, and uh, that's not the way you should operate government. And and I think that the citizens um, uh, view things that way. People can certainly debate the proper way to draw the maps, but there is definitely, uh, I think it would be pretty decidedly a much more modern approach incorporating the live streaming and that open transparency. I did want to get your take on the fact that the current redistricting commission did pass new maps in September. And then in November, the current court dismissed the major lawsuits against the commission. So what was your take on that? Well, I, I don't really think there's a need for me to, um, you know, uh, uh, go go into detail about the, what the court did. I, I I wouldn't do that as, um, you know, a retired chief justice. Uh, I, I think that there were, uh, uh, you know, complaints filed um, once all seven members signed on, all seven members of the redistricting commission signed on to that map. Um, I, I don't think that uh, it mattered too much what the flaws or shortcomings uh, were going to were in that. And, um, you know, I'd like to just that demonstrates to me that there were seven members, five uh, Republicans and, and two Democrats. Uh, and uh, there were political considerations for the two Democrats uh, to sign or, or, you know, agree and uh, approve the maps. Um, and that, to me, illustrates the fact that it's both Republican and Democrat problem, it, that, that the maps are drawn in a way to advantage uh, certain interests. And uh, that's that has to stop. That's just not the way uh, that is representative of the state of Ohio uh, and its people. Um, and, you know, if we want to extrapolate uh, look what happened in uh, our elections in 23. Uh, we had an election in August and the will of the legislature was soundly defeated um, in the high 50%. Uh, we had issue one, the will of the legislature soundly defeated uh, by uh, the passage of the reproductive right um, constitutional amendment. When the people speak in, in uh numbers in the high 50s percent. And the polls could have told you that. The polls were telling uh, everybody that. Um, it's clear to me that the legislature is not listening to its constituents. Uh, and they have uh, a mission of their own. Um, and uh, that they can feel comfortable in having that uh, because the districts are gerrymandered. Um, but uh, and they they retain their power, um, but um, at this point, uh, I, I I hope that it's going to be short lived. Now I want to uh, just ask you before we go here. I want to get your response to two different comments that were made about the redistricting process in Ohio. First, it comes from Ohio State Representative Adam Bird, a Republican out of New Richmond, and he said this. People on redistricting commission need to be accountable, and the only people that are accountable are those who are elected. What do you say to that? 
Uh, I think that's a myoptic view of government. Uh, the provisions of the amendment exact accountability by the selection process, the transparency in the entire process, as I just mentioned, the citizen participation in a series of regional meetings and detailed accountability regarding the budget for uh, the redistricting commission. So um, I would uh, ask uh, Representative Byrd uh, to read the amendment. Uh, and I think that he will be, um, uh, should be pleased uh, at the, the various uh, uh, steps that we have built in to how these maps uh, will come about. And that leads to the next question that I would actually like to get your response to, or your okay. statement rather, I'd like to get your response to. Governor Mike DeWine recently said, also a Republican as well, that he believes that redistricting should be taken out of the hands of the politicians. He says it shouldn't be in the hands of the governor. He said he doesn't want it in the hands of the governor. This is a very recent comment of his. His question was then, who picks them? How do you make sure that people are looking at it from an impartial point of view? So really kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of who gets chosen, how do they get chosen to be those five Democrats, those five Republicans, those five independents on that new and newly envisioned redistricting committee? Uh, and, and I appreciate uh, that the governor sees that the current system has not worked, will not work, and that it, we need a change. Uh, as I said before, the um, amendments uh, passed in 2015 and 2018 uh, were doomed to fail. So moving on to the governor's question, uh, the governor will answer his own questions once he reads and studies the amendment. Um, he, I know, has not had the opportunity to do that. He has mentioned that. He will see uh, that the proposed amendment addresses all of the shortcomings um, of the current constitutional amendments. And most importantly, it takes politicians who are interested in gerrymandering districts to keep or increase their party's power. Uh, it keeps them out of the process. Uh, they want to you know, keep their power, party's power by retaining their seat. Uh, and um, uh, this will take that you know, totally um, out of the process. The maps will be drawn with no regard to where um, the current uh, uh, legislators are living because they're living in gerrymandered districts. Uh, so um, it's, 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 a, it's a new day. It will be a new day. Uh, and I want to thank you again for the opportunity uh, and mention that this will be on the ballot in 2024, this year uh, in November. We're in the process of collecting uh, over 413,000 signatures. So chances are you're going to meet up with uh, someone who has a clipboard and ask for your uh, signature. All you have to be is a registered voter. Uh, and we ask that you sign that so that this can be placed on the ballot and the citizens of Ohio um, will then free themselves uh, from this gerrymandering uh, process uh, that they've been subject to for well over a hundred years. Chief Justice O'Connor, if there are people who are listening or watching who wanna get involved with the Citizens Not Politicians initiative, where would you tell them to go? Where should they go to try and get in contact to be part well, of Well, I would ask them, that's, I would hope that, that, you know, after they hear what I had to say, that they are uh, uh, at least curious about this, if not excited. Uh, so I would ask them to log on to citizensnotpoliticians.org. That's the website. 
and then they'll be able to keep abreast of what's happening in the campaign. Uh, maybe donate if that's what they uh, are so inclined to do and sign up to volunteer. As we gear up, once the signature collection is over and we're on the ballot, uh, and that will happen in July. July 3rd is the uh, date by which we have to uh, submit those uh, signatures. Um, there's going to be increased information and ways to be involved in this campaign. Um, and believe me, it will be a campaign. Okay. Thank you very much, Chief Justice O'Connor, for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that was former Ohio Supreme Court Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor again explaining her involvement in the Citizens Not Politicians initiative. So as she mentioned there, they'll be collecting signatures they have until July 3rd to do it. They need 413,487 valid signatures for registered voters here in Ohio by that date in order to get on the ballot in November. Um, I think there's some, obviously some very good points there made. I think the, mo like, the most important thing that I took from that was when she says, and it's, this is the simplest way to sell this, and I think this is probably the, the approach they should take. <clears throat> Don't let legislators pick their constituents. You let constituents pick their legislators. That's a really that good point. That goes for all parties, you know, uh, no matter, gerrymandering's a mess. It's just, it's one of the pro biggest problems affecting us right now. And I'm so glad that she's doing that. And I'm glad that Ohio's trying to step up and fix a very real problem. And, you know, we did talk through those numbers again, the discrepancy right now with the way our legislative maps are drawn. That's not even talking about the congressional maps, but the discrepancy with the breakdown of the politics here in Ohio. And as former Chief Justice O'Connor mentioned, it is a bipartisan issue. You know, it's not an evenly split redistricting commission right now. There are five Republicans and two Democrats on it. They did unanimously pass those maps that are still not representative of the political situation here in Ohio, and that is simply just a fact. And again, this is not a party issue. The uh, New York Democrats are do are very capable, culpable of doing very similar things up there right now, and they're trying to do it again. So just getting rid of all gerrymandering across this country for everybody would be for the best. So I hope that I personally hope that that uh, gets well. It's definitely going to make it on. And I think it's going to pass. Personally. I am I am always interested to see issues get on the ballot. I want to see what our voters have to say about the issues. And I, I want them, to, I want everything to get on the ballot. That's my hope. They've been pretty loud lately, our voters. Um, okay, we've got some important dates coming up, electoral dates that you guys have to be aware of. So let's show the sweet graphic that I made myself right now. <laughs> this is a that graphic I made myself. Fancy graphic making, Mike Polk Jr. Thank you. What I did was I took a screenshot from Case Western Reserve University site saying when the dates were. And then, why don't you go ahead and read them, people? And then I shared them. Uh, I screenshot that and then I put, a, put it on a blue background. Then I put an eagle in the <laughs> foreground, as you can see, for patriotism. And then I put the courtesy thing down there so that we don't get sued. Okay, well, that was very... Because uh, I don't want to write out all those things. <laughs> adept graphic making. Thank and thank you for the thorough explanation of how it came to pass. So uh, voter registration deadline for this upcoming primary election, February 20th. Early in-person and mail-in voting begins February 21st. The deadline to request a vote by mail ballot is March 12th. The postmark deadline for vote by mail is March 18th. And the primary day is March 19th. Of course, we are talking about the primary election here in Ohio, the upcoming election in November, a bunch of different deadlines. But that's what we're looking at right now. And uh, stick with us because we'll be back here in just a little bit with more.
Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Ohio Has Issues. I'm Stephanie Haney. I'm Mike Polk. Those are the best jams in our music production <laughs> library that I could find, and I hope you're enjoying them. We got our DJ, Mike Polk, here. We have our digital producer. You can't see him, but he's over on the side. He's on the ones and twos. And this is our new political show. We're doing this once a week to get you up to speed if you're just joining us. Yeah, we got a big election coming up, so we figured it'd be helpful if we just once a week told you what was going on. Is from, or Actually, we don't tell you. We're having guests come on and tell you what's going on. We're just asking them the important questions. Yeah, we are talking to experts who are the people behind the organization for these issues that you're very likely to see on the November ballot. We're talking to current elected officials and talking to people who hope to be your elected officials, the candidates, a whole bunch of people. And we're doing all this because we, uh, we wish the best for Ohio and we care about Ohio and we're kind of Ohio fans, aren't we? Yeah, I like Ohio. Now, you know a lot about Ohio. For example, did you know what some of our Ohio symbols are? I'm gonna quiz you real quick, oh, here's just a couple. Boy. Okay. What is the Ohio State bird? The cardinal. Oh, very good. It was designated the state bird by the General Assembly in 1933. That was an official designation. Very mm. impressive. What is the state amphibian? <laughs> I was just thinking I feel bad for those other birds that lost out. I know. The state amphibian. I am going to say a, uh, a knoll. Mm, that's a good guess. A weird, <laughs> unique amphibian. It's actually the spotted salamander. Oh. He was just named the state amphibian in 2010. I don't know why it took so long. That office was vacant for way too long, but luckily we had the spotted salamander. Now. I don't know if Josh Doppler still lives in Ohio, but he went to elementary school with me, and I was thinking of his anole. Oh, there you go. But yeah, it's not a spotted anole. salamander. Uh, state, state insect. What do you think that is? You'll like this. Oh. No, it's good. Okay. Um, is a worm an insect? Worm. Oh. It's the ladybug. Oh, that is Isn't nice. Isn't that lucky? It was designated as the official state insect <laughs> by the 111th General Assembly. Uh, that was in 1975. Now, this is not... Very clear. Got to make this clear. This is not to be confused, and apparently this has been a point of contention with bug lovers in Ohio. I'm checking the notes. This is not to be confused with the seven-spotted lady beetle, which is an invasive species <gasps> in Ohio native to Europe. Yes. Snuck their way over here. Yes, and I have seen many of them in my apartment downtown. That's not a ladybug. That's not our state bug. Yeah. That's a. It, that is not even supposed to be here. That's like my ancestors. They came over from Europe unwelcome, <laughs> and they've been a drain on the system ever since. <laughs> so it's the ladybug. Okay, mm. just one more. Okay. Uh, State flower. What do you think that is? Is it the carnation? It is. It's oh. the red carnation. Very good. Now, you might think, why would Ohio pick the red carnation? And you would think practical, affordable, not quite a rose, not very romantic, not very expensive. That's sort of us. You know, get it done. Um, that's our mentality. But you're wrong. It's actually very specific and it's kind of interesting. It was a favorite flower of Ohio-born President William McKinley, oh. who often wore one on his jacket. And the red carnation was named the state flower right after his assassina assassination to honor him. Mm, and so the McKinley Monument Memorial, that's in Canton, my hometown. Shout out to the 330. There you go. Um, now, there is one more state symbol that is not as fortunate as all those other ones. There is that we should not be proud of. Um, and I would like to share that with you now. This is our state beverage, a tribute to our state beverage. Mm. Oh, hi. Sorry. I'm Mike Polk Jr. You just caught me in the middle of my daily exercise workout. You see, as a regional public figure, it's important that I always look my best because the world is a stage and my body is my instrument. So how do I keep it in tune? Well, by putting in my work here at the dojo and by always rehydrating with the official state beverage of Ohio, tomato juice. Why tomato juice? because it's chock full of all the vitamins, minerals, salt, 
thickness and stinging metal aftertaste that I need to be at the peak of my game. And after a grueling workout, there's nothing quite as refreshing as slamming down a cold, tall glass of what is essentially very weak pasta sauce. Mmm. That's substantial. So take it from me, Mike Polk Jr. Whether you say tomato or tomato, be sure to say cheers with tomato juice. The official beverage of Ohio, for some reason, out of everything we could have chosen. It's like I'm burping an olive garden. It's awful. I can't. <laughs> Great Matt. Matt Wentz cameo. Did you see that? Yeah, I'm just really impressed at the way you were able to hold that big cup of tomato juice and balance on whatever elliptical or treadmill or whatever it is. I don't know what it's called either. I've never been in that room before, but... <laughs> It's called talent is what it's called. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I didn't fall down at all. That's a disgusting safe beverage. Can we agree? Especially, yeah. I, even if you're a tomato juice fan, why would you punish? You know there are so many of us that don't want to drink that. Mm -mm. So, and we have, how many, I can throw a rock up and hit like six breweries from here. <laughs> and we're tomato juice? That's true. <sighs> Maybe, Guys. I mean, at least something a little more delicious, like yeah. orange juice or something. Anything that is not soup. <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's a just soup. weak pasta sauce. Is yeah, that what you said? That's what we're going to do it as. And so get better. If you're an Ohio politician thinking about running for office, you could be a one-issue candidate. You'd just be like, I'm going to overturn uh, tomato juice being the state <laughs> beverage, and I'll bet you would waltz into that. I would sign that petition to get that initiative on the ballot to overturn tomato funny. That would be a funny actual like amendment to try and get into the Constitution, <laughs> like actually get the signatures and stuff. All right, we're going to do that for next season. Uh -huh. um, but we've got to stay serious now, folks. We've got some serious stuff going on in Ohio, mm -hmm. and that's why we're going to let the professionals take over right now uh, for our next interview. And this is a gentleman who's been covering the Ohio political scene for a long time. How long has he been doing this? Do we, like at least 12 years or something like that? I can't believe... Uh, but I, I grew Since up, I moved back to town. I grew up with this kid uh, on the scene, and he's uh, not a kid. He's a grown man. He's a professional and does really good work. Um, he's Andrew Tobias. He's the great political cover, uh, coverage guy for the Plain Dealer. And I had a really nice conversation with him about all the pressing issues in Ohio right now. Take a look. All right, Andrew Tobias, you are the politics reporter for The Plain Dealer. Not Cleveland.com. I'm always mixing that up. Explain to me. It doesn't matter. I'm happy to have you either way, no matter who you're representing. You do great work. And uh, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks. All right. I'm going to ask, first of all, you understand the premise of this show that we're trying to do. A lot of Ohioans, you cover Ohio politics. Have you found that Ohioans are particularly knowledgeable about the politics in this state? I would say the biggest surprise for me uh, of my career was when in 2020, people that I knew suddenly started caring about what I do for a living. And it's because <laughs> Mike DeWine canceled uh, the St. Patrick's Day parade, more or less, and then close all the bars and restaurants people like to do. And then like people would white knuckle watching his show every single day, wondering what might close next, whether schools are going to be open and stuff like that. And I had, you know, neighbors and friends giving me helpful tips about how I might ask better questions of him during his press conferences. So that was a real stark reminder of, you know, the, the typical it's like, oh, like uh, state government, do you, do you know Jim Jordan, who's in Congress and does not work in the state government? So from that to the experience of the pandemic really kind of like put in, in stark relief, kind of the degree to which people often don't follow the state government and don't follow state politics. Um, but then I think like residually now people have more interest because they kind of know how much it can really affect them. And then obviously, um, you know, the ballot issues last year with marijuana and abortion, those are issues that people understand. So it comes and goes. But yeah, it's it's not always a high level of 
you know, people following the minutia of what they do down there and what, what if I do. You wanna, if you want to get us to pay attention, just take away our St. Patrick's Day. Then all of a sudden we're like, <laughs> wait, what's going on? Where's that guy to tell us what's happening? Uh, well, we're happy that you're telling people what's happening. I'm sure it's frustrating at times. And that's what we're trying to do here is at least give people the basics. We're not trying to go too deep or anything like that. But I just want people to know what's going on on a weekly basis in Ohio politics. So uh, appreciate any tips you have for us or any information you have for us. Let's get right to it. We have a big Senate election coming up in Ohio in November. Three candidates really remaining on the Republican side, one of whom will face Sherrod Brown. Out of those three candidates, or those three candidates, we have Bernie Moreno, we have Frank LaRose, and we have Matt Dolan. They just had a debate just last week. Why don't you tell us about any takeaways that you have from that debate, anything that really stood out to you? Yeah, so, I mean, um, I covered the Senate race in 2022, and there were like six or seven candidates, and a lot of stuff happened. But ultimately, Donald Trump endorsed J.D. Vance about two weeks before the election, and Vance won. So a lot of following Republican politics these days can be as simple as who is Donald Trump and Donald Trump endorsing. So to answer your question pro Marino. Directly, is it going to yeah. be pro-Marino? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Bernie Marino, who I know from covering Cleveland stuff in the past, uh, opened his debate statement by reminding the viewers that Donald Trump had endorsed him. And they even uh, sandwiched the debate itself with Marino campaign ads sit running two 15 I noticed blocks that. back to back, you know, Donald Trump's endorsed me. So that was really his emphasis. Just really wanted people to know that. And obviously, um, you know, it's pretty easy to figure out why. The other kind of takeaway that I had was that um, Matt Dolan is running as kind of like the relatively moderate, traditional, um, old style Republican kind of um, boring, that kind of thing. And I was struck by the fact that he really made an attempt to inject himself into the debate. He was frequently attacking his challenge or his opponents. And I think that he almost has the hardest path because he's selling himself as somebody with uh, political experience. He's kind of explicitly not seeking Trump's endorsement, not trashing him or anything like that, but he's distancing himself. And those those two things, um, a lot of Republican voters don't like politicians and they really like Donald Trump. So it's just a real tough road to hoe. But um, it was interesting that kind of given sort of the uphill battle that he faces that he really did kind of mix it up and also, you know, kind of uncharacteristically was kind of, um, you know, pretty aggressive. Really yeah. He, yeah, he did. He was pretty chippy. The one you haven't mentioned so far is Frank LaRose. Anything, any, any takeaways from him from the debate? Yeah, you know, for him, he kind of made his case. Um, it has to do with kind of who he is as a person, his biography. Um, Dolan and Marino are both very wealthy. We're talking trust funds. We're talking like uh, houses in the Caribbean, um, that kind of stuff, you know, multimillionaires. And he basically, LaRose is by no means poor. He makes something like $170,000 a year. But should also probably live. be mentioned. Sorry, should also be mentioned that his family owns the LaRose uh, distribu beverage distribution in Akron, which is that's not exactly a small business either. So right. he, people might see those trucks driving around delivering beer and stuff like that. But they delivered have... a lot to Kent State for me back in the day, just so you know. <laughs> so that's I still owe him for that. So thank you, Frank. <laughs> but he does live in a house that is similar, more similar to sort of what a normal Ohioan might live in. So he basically said these other guys are multimillionaires and I'm not. Um, his other sort of, you know, the way that he's approaching this race is somewhere between Matt Dolan and uh, Bernie Marino. But um, honestly, you really have to watch really carefully to know what those distinctions really are. Um, again, I mentioned earlier how important Donald Trump is in Republican primaries. And a lot of it's just messaging who do we trust the most to do what Donald Trump wants or to fight against, you know, the establishment like Donald Trump does. So it's a lot, it's more of like a, it's more like a vibe than it is really positions. And so um, 
you know, uh, LaRose was kind of trying to thread the needle between those two sides. But a lot of it, like I said, had to do with talking about who he is as a person, including highlighting we, his military experience. Do we have any post-debate polling or or if not, what does the most recent polling say about who's ahead in the Republican primary? So the way I look at these debates is really affecting races uh, is that if somebody does something really stupid, it can hurt them. We had in 2022, again, two candidates almost got into a fight on stage. And um, that's something that actually uh, there was polling that people knew about that. Um, people might not um, you know, follow these sorts of things closely, um, but stuff like that does trickle through. Uh, but as far as the actual polling goes, there hasn't been a lot. Um, the polling that I'd have seen is coming from Bernie Marino's campaign. So you definitely have to take it with a grain of salt. It shows him pulling out a lead, um, something like 20 to 25% where, you know, Frank LaRose and Matt Dolan are somewhere like in the low tens. Um, but there's been public polling in the past showing LaRose in front, you know, whether it's the beer trucks from people who went to Kent State University or whether it's just the fact that he... Uh, has appeared in the statewide ballot before. He has kind of the most name recognition, um, but there just hasn't been that much polling since um, Donald Trump endorsed Marino. And we'll sort of see how that soaks in, especially as people start paying closer attention as the election approaches. I understand just it's probably just a resources thing, but is there this is an important election. Why isn't there more polling on it? Why aren't, say, why isn't the Plain Dealer or Cleveland.com conducting a poll? I mean, we won't. We're obviously we don't we can't do that because we're not we're just a you know, we're a TV station, but you guys have the resources, right? Yeah, definitely. We're printing money in the newspaper business. Um, <laughs> but polling is really expensive. There's there's less polling than there used to be for that reason. Um, as you know, local media outlets have become, you know, more financially strapped. Some of the national polling outfits, um, honestly, it's kind of surprising that they haven't pulled here more. Um, you know, I, my theory about it is that they're more focused this year on the presidential race, and that includes mm -hmm. following states that they think are going to be more consequential um, in the presidential race. But I mean, this is going to be the top Senate race in the country, um, probably as far as, you know, money spent and, and how competitive it's going to be. So I don't really know why there's not more polling. It's, it's a question that I have too. You um, wrote an article after the debate that I found really interesting. It's uh, about the the candidates and the way that their tone has changed following the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Leading up to Roe v. Wade, all three candidates, as you wrote in your piece, were talking, were implying that they, or were saying that they should go back to the states. The decision should go back to the states. And now in the debate, you brought up that they're finding kind of a different tone. And what do you attribute that to? Yeah, so fundamentally, that's what conservatives and abortion opponents said for years about Roe v. Wade, was that it's something that should be dealt with at the state level. And what happened after Roe v. Wade was overturned is that we've seen um, seven states, including Ohio, when abortion has been on the ballot, whether it's voting for a new abortion restriction or voting for an expansion of uh, abortion access, it's won all seven times. Um, uh, it's the abortion rights side of the position has won every single time. So what, what abortion opponents are finding is that by returning it to the states, depending on where they are, including Ohio, it's actually, um, you know, voters support abortion rights. And so um, what we've seen with this field is them all basically trying to thread the needle between um, whether it's they have a personal conviction that abortion is wrong or whether it's that Republican primary voters by and large oppose abortion, that they need to say what they're going to do, um, you know, to restrict abortion in some manner in the future while not taking a position that is um, out of step with the majority of voters, as we saw uh, from the results of the November election here. So um, it kind of just goes to, I think it's kind of confronting the reality where, when this is actually on the ballot, they've had to adjust how they talk about it. And so what's striking about them all taking a position where they would in some way or another 
vote for a national abortion ban, um, something like 15 weeks into pregnancy, although the number hasn't really been established, um, that they also that they would. And so we'll, we're definitely going to see, you know, Democrats have been strong on this issue. Um, they have found it to motivate voters. It's something that likely that Sherrod Brown will emphasize going into November. Um, but obviously there are other issues too. But so yeah, that, that's what struck me about that for sure. Um, speaking of voting, voting rights, we spoke with former Supreme Court Just Chief Justice uh, Maureen O'Connor about for her redistricting measure that she's trying to get on the ballot. And we also have another voting measure, though. And I don't even know what to call this thing because the the name they gave it apparently did not uh, cut the mustard. So why don't you tell me about the other voting rights initiative that is trying to make its way on the ballot? Yeah, I'll start with the name. Um, so it was supposed to be called the Ohio Bill of Rights. This is the second time that they've tried to have a name basically approved by Attorney General Dave Yost. Um, Yost's role in this process is to approve the language that appears on the petition that these groups that want to have a constitutional amendment on the ballot have to circulate. They have to collect something like 412,000 valid voter signatures to do it. And on the petition, they have to write a summary to tell people who are signing it this is what we want to propose to do. Yost's job is to determine whether that language is accurate because you don't want people being misled about you know, signing a piece of paper and, and it'd be something that, that it's not. Um, what Yost has found in this case was that the first title, which was just secure and fair elections amendment was vague. This most recent one was the Ohio Bill of Rights. He said, you know, he felt that it wasn't neutral. It's unusual for him to really, for any attorney general to talk about the, the, the title of this thing. Um, it's 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 strange that he's doing that, just given it's not uncommon for these things to have this really flowery language in the past. So anyways, um, moving on from. Yeah, they're things, always named like happened. something for American patriotism, for freedom and trees or something like that. It's not weird for it to have a colorful name. So is the is the implication that maybe he's putting his thumb on the scale a little bit? Is that what some people are suggesting with this? Or is it is it legitimate? It, it, could it legitimately confuse people with the original titles? Um, it's possible that people just look at the title and that's it. And so what he's trying to do is make sure that, that title is, is, is as fair as possible. But what we definitely have seen is um, during the marijuana and abortion rights campaigns last year, Yost's office took the somewhat, again, a, a new, a new um, approach of writing what he said was a nonpartisan analysis of what those measures would do. Um, especially when you're talking about abortion, it's very controversial. So there was an agreement that is actually neutral from everyone. But we definitely have seen an interest from Yoast in kind of getting more involved with these ballot issues. We And I'm going off subject here a little bit, but especially because of what happened last year, I do think there's going to be more of these types of ballot issues in the future. There's going to be funding for them. And so it's a signal from Yoast that he wants to sort of be more involved. So in this case, it's a reaction to the issue. One thing is what you're saying. Last yeah, year's issue then, one thing where they tried to up this up, up it to 60%. Yes. And we saw just a ton of spending from the groups that funded and opposed that issue. And it's just kind of a signal to future groups that Ohio is a place where these things, these you know, where, where things that are sort of left to center can pass. So to get back to the question, um, what this particular proposal would do if it ever makes it through the process, which is a big if, it would expand voting access laws in Ohio. Um, I think like the simplest one to explain is there's uh, a new requirement that you have to show a photo ID when you vote in person. Um, it used to be that you had some alternative things that you could do. This, if it passes, would return back to the old way, which was that you can show something utility bill or a bank statement. Um, but there's a lot of other things in it too. Um, it would 
Um, in Ohio, all 88 counties have the same voting procedures. And so that's been a frustration for elections officials, Republican and Democrat in Cuyahoga County for years that they can only have one voting center if anybody's ever gone there. It's mm -hmm. in downtown Cleveland, there's traffic, there's no parking. And, um, you know, whereas a county like um, Putnam County in rural Northwest Ohio. Why do you got to go with Putnam like that? Why'd you got to, why'd you pick Putnam? <laughs> why'd they catch a stray? Just yeah, kidding. yeah, pick someone. Sorry, Putnam. Yeah, a smaller but, county wouldn't require as many, probably as much attention as a larger county. Yeah, so they have one voting center too. And so they would allow counties to set their own voting center numbers. They'd allow them to set their own early voting hours. Um, there are some things, another thing that might be controversial is it would let people register to vote and cast a, a ballot in the same day. Right now, voting registration closes something like 30 days before an election. So there's a whole bunch of bullet points. I would generally characterize it as... Um, I've written that it's a wish list for voting rights activists and for progressive uh, kind of people who look at voting issues. Um, but yeah, it's there's just a lot of stuff in it. And those are a few of the things that would be in it. And I it. you bring up that it's a wish list and it, it is a lot of stuff. And there is pushback, obviously, from people who might be against this to begin with. And then there's pushback from people who are also pro the redistricting reform amendment, who think that this somehow might muddy up the works and hurt the chances of that. Uh, why are people feeling that way? So there are a couple of things going on here. Um, one is that it's always just typical for any time you have people strategically approaching ballot issue um, priorities. And so it's just generally speaking, you know, is there enough attention to go around, you know, for voters? Is there, you know, maybe there's the same kind of sets of donors that would fund these types of things. Is there enough money to go around? So it's, a, it's, an, it's a matter of priorities. But then, you know, getting into the specifics of these issues. So let's just say that the concern about this measure is that people who think that voting fraud is a big problem would think that loosening voting laws would then invite more voter fraud um, or, you know, more risk of voter fraud. Um, there's sort of a, um, you know, uh, a connection between talking about redistricting form, which is a voting issue, um, and talking about voting access, which is also a voting issue. So there, there's concern from people who might support redistricting that there could be a spillover effect or maybe it would in, in, you know, in, invoke a backlash okay. that would be damaging to both issues. But it's speculative. But, you know, like I said, the sort of more like um, tangible concern that pops up is whether there's there's enough money or attention to go around for these two things. Horribly irresponsible of me to ask, but chances of either both of the percentage chances of each of those in your totally, uh, you know, you're just from your knowledge. I'm not saying you have to have hard numbers here or anything like that. What are the percentage chances of each of those things making it on the ballot? So I was promised there'd be no math if I became a journalist. So I'm not going to do the numbers, but That's fair. I'll, I'll also qualify it by saying that I've been, um, you know, humbled by nobody thinking that Donald Trump would win in 2016 and then he did. So just all that kind of we all you know, learned a lot. In the way. Oh, yeah. Um, I believe that the redistricting amendment is likely more likely than not to pass. Um, Missouri, which is a more conservative state, but similar to Ohio, voted and passed a similar measure in 2018 on, on that same ballot. Josh Hawley, who's one of the most Republic, uh, conservative Republicans in the Senate, was elected in the same year. So we had a Republican electorate pass this in a pretty Republican state that's similar to Ohio. Um, as for the, the voting issue, I honestly think it would probably fail. Um, the, the voter ID um, issue, the photo ID issue that I mentioned earlier, uh, when you look at polling at that, you know, there, there are arguments for and against that as from a policy level, but polling for that, you know, something like 80% of, of people consistently 
support requiring a photo ID to vote. And so that I believe that if that were to qualify for the ballot, it would be, become about that issue alone. And it would be, you know, as a result, uh, it would be difficult to pass. But it's hard to say, um, you know, people, uh, Michigan um, approves a voter um, package similar to this in 2018. Michigan's also not that different from Ohio, despite being more liberal. So, you know, here I am, like, it's, I'm just speculating, but that's what I think. Hey, that's what I asked you to do. And one more speculation. If you had to call it right now, who's going to be the Republican um, candidate against Sherrod Brown? If you had so, to yeah, like Republican politics have become almost um, the exception is when a Donald Trump backed candidate doesn't get elected or, you know, win a nomination. Um, so I would just have to expect that Bernie Moreno is the favorite. But that being said, you know, um, there are strengths that the other two candidates have to, um, you know, we'll just kind of have to see how things play out. But that's certainly the expectation. And that's not, you know, a lot of people feel that way who follow this stuff. Finally, before I let you go, you've been doing this a long time since 2008. Is that right? How long you've been covering politics in Ohio? Yeah, I, you know, covering politics in 2008 was more like seeing people show up at a county commission to yell about being paid to improve their pay for their neighbors' ditch improvements. But yeah, right. mostly speaking. Now you're doing that seriously, like a much higher level in Columbus, essentially, really. But same, really the same argument, same argument, same tone, just different yeah, things stuff. you're yelling about. Um, but you've run into some interesting characters. I need at least one interesting interaction you've had with a politician or something that happened to you during that time. Well, so um, I would like this is this wasn't much of an interaction, but I feel like I was almost seriously hurt covering Donald Trump in 2015. And what I mean by that is he was um, speaking in Cleveland at the first Republican presidential debate. And at that time, you know, he was like a pop culture figure. And so um, there's just this crush of reporters who, uh, after he went into what's called the spin room after the debate, which is where the candidates go and tell reporters while they won, um, just a sea of humanity just rushed towards Donald Trump. And I like got women chasing the, the Beatles in 1960 or 66 or something like that. Yeah. Right? And I actually felt like I was in danger. Um, you know, like like uh, nightclub stampedes came to mind and things like that. Soccer like riot. And I, I pulled myself out. But there is also a picture of me um, that's been on national television of me like getting squished behind Donald Trump while he's talking. So that was, that's a memorable experience. And certainly at that time, I wouldn't have thought that he would ever be president of the United States, but you know, it happened. You have to send me that picture right after we're done with this, please. I'd really appreciate that. We'll include it. Um, I'll dig it up. Last thing for you before you go, uh, this is obviously a new project we're doing. We're just trying to inform people about Ohio politics. Uh, is there any, any advice for us while we're moving forward with this weird show that I haven't even told you the name of yet? <laughs> advice? Well, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, um, uh, it really struck me during the pandemic in 2020 that I think people got, um, it was a very profound reminder of how what state government does can really affect people in their day-to-day -day lives. And so um, doing these kinds of shows and, um, uh, you know, trying to tie, make the connection between what government does and how it affects people's every, everyday lives. It's just the best thing that you can do and make it relevant to an audience. And so that's certainly how I approach what I do. I try to talk about these things in as simple terms as possible. And, and so hopefully by doing this kind of thing that your viewers will have the chance to sort of, you know, uh, take something and demystify it and make it relevant to them. Well, fortunately, simple terms are the only ones I know, Mr. Tobias. So well, they should be fine. Will you come back, I hope? Absolutely. All right. You have to say that now because you're still on. Appreciate it. That's Andrew Tobias from The Plain Dealer. Thank you, sir. Sure. I like how you got him to commit to come back. He did. That's what you have to do. <laughs> Nail him down while you can. Because um, especially Andrew Tobias, who knows his stuff.
uh, as you can see. And we, he, hopefully he will come back and be a guest. I don't think I scared him too much. Um, mm -hmm. He did provide, as asked, uh, the picture of him that he was talking about there. And I think we have it right here. This is him that he was, this is where he was getting crushed by a throng of people at the 20, at, at the Ooh. 2016 convention. That's him in the back with the glasses in the very <laughs> corner there. There he is. Okay, so if you're listening to this on a podcast, you got to go to the show notes right now and click the YouTube link so that you can check this out because it's worth it. <laughs> it does look like, it does look like he's in a mosh pit uh, somewhere. But It looks like he's at that Beatles concert that uh, the former president was likened to. Yep. He couldn't, <laughs> and he there. just couldn't look less happy to be there. Thank you mm -mm. for that. And thank you, Andrew <laughs> Tobias, for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. So, what do we got next? All right, we're going to take a little break, and then we'll be back in just a minute to tell you what we got coming up next. Stick around. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. How do you think this went? For our first show, I feel pretty good about it. I feel pretty good too, although I have a pretty like a pretty low bar for myself. So <laughs> I feel like it went well. I had a nice time. You did great. You obviously carried it like uh, as as in, in all aspects of life, and I appreciate it. Well, I've been that. lifting weights, so it shows. Who do we have coming up uh, in upcoming shows? Yeah, we've got a great uh, lineup of guests for you in our shows that we have coming up. I'll name just a couple of them. We do have the Republican candidates for the U.S. Senate seat here all in Ohio. Three all three of them. She booked all three of the Senate candidates. It was a joint effort, but we mm -hmm. got it. We do have them coming up. We also have former Ohio Representative Shayla Davis. She is currently the president and CEO of the Ohio Legislative Black Caucus Foundation. Mm -hmm. She'll be joining us, uh, maybe with a group of people, TBD. We may have something interesting, something interesting It'll up our fun. sleeves for you. And we will also be talking with Mariah Ross at some point. She's from a group called One Fair Wage. We'll be talking with her specifically about that minimum wage constitutional amendment that they hope to get on the ballot here in November. Just and a then, couple. And then we also uh, tricked our old co-worker, Mark Namick, who now is the managing editor over at Signal, which is a really great publication online that everybody should check out. Mm -hmm. He's going to come in and share his knowledge about Ohio politics with us as well. 
person. He has been down in the trenches for a long time here, and he will definitely have some good insight for he us. He knows in. all the dirt. Yes, he does. He knows the tea. Um, we just want to remind you that you can find us on the WKYC YouTube page and on WKYC Plus, which is our streaming app. And then also you can listen on all of your favorite podcast platforms. And we'll include links to the video in there, too, if you're listening and we reference something that we're looking at so you can see it and all that good stuff. All right. Well, I think that puts a button on it, right? I Remember? think it does. Oh, hi, Ohio. Bye, Ohio. <laughs> nice work, everybody. Oh, bye, Ohio. We'll see you next time on Ohio Has Issues.